Welcome friends, my name is Jonathan Reeder and I am the Community Life Pastor here at Friends Church in Orange. And we are so glad that you are checking out this message today. We hope that you find inspiration for your spiritual journey wherever you're at on that journey. We're just glad that you're here today. If you wanna find out ways to get connected here at Friends and be a part of our community, you can just check all that out on the website that you're on right now. Find out how you can be a part of what is happening here at Friends. We hope you enjoy this message and we hope that God blesses you through what you hear. As Letty said, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here. And today we're wrapping up our Ignite series where we've been looking at different verses throughout the Bible that may be familiar to some, not so much to others, but really how those verses can actually ignite faith in God in a different way. And so today we're going to be looking at uh, one man specifically who has a final exhortation for his people. He has this final exhortation and he, he speaks to his people. And we're going to see today this, this phrase, what you serve determines what you leave behind. So what you serve determines what you leave behind, determines what kind of impact you're going to have. And so as we unpack all of the stories today, we're gonna look at the things that we serve, the things that we spend our time and energy and attention on, they actually determine what we leave behind, which is kind of daunting if you think about it, because I spend my time on a lot of things that I don't think are really that helpful or beneficial to my life or anyone else's life, honestly. And so as I think about that, everything that I do is actually leaving an impact, is having some sort of uh, impact on somebody else. That's, that's really daunting. Um, but at the same time, I'm grateful that, you know, there's always grace and there's always more. But one of the things that I've found is as more as I try to live my life for myself, the more that I find that people around me are impacted and affected by it which is, again, very daunting. And sometimes I go throughout life thinking, you know what, it doesn't really matter. I'll just do what I want. Doesn't really matter. I'm not impacting anyone. My actions, my reactions, who really cares, right? But then I had kids. And then it's like, oh, my actions and reactions really matter a lot because my kids start to do exactly what I do. And they begin to mimic what I do. And then they say the things that I say and they begin to throw it right back in my face, which is just unacceptable to me, but they take it. So uh, a few years ago, I started uh, going to counseling and um, as like a cool upper end millennial, like I talk about counseling in my house. My wife and I, we talk, we're like, oh yeah, we do therapy. It's great, you know, blah, blah, And so our kids are kind of living in this like, oh, therapy. We had to explain it to them because we were like, well, we're going to like talk to someone for an hour. They're like, okay, like, what is that? We're like, well, it's like a heart doctor, you know? And they're like, well, is something wrong with your heart? We're like, well, not our like physical heart, but like our like metaphysical heart. And they're like, we're so confused. You know, my kids didn't get it. But finally they understand, oh, you just go and talk to someone for an hour and you get to talk without them talking back at you. That makes sense. We can get behind that. So anyways, my friends, or my, um, my kids are very aware that we've been doing counseling. And a couple months ago, uh, we were getting ready for bed. My boys were upstairs getting ready for bed. And I was upstairs with them and we're hanging out and they're in the bathroom doing the brushing their teeth. And all of a sudden I hear my, so I have two boys. I hear my oldest boy just start yelling at the younger one. You're brushing your teeth wrong. Do it better. You're not doing it right. Blah, 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 blah. And there was something inside of me. I was in the next room over that just like snapped. And I was like, you do not talk to your brother that way. And I like, I literally, so instead of being like nice and calm, you know, good parent and walking in and be like, hey, let's talk to each other more kindly. I burst into the door. I'm like, hey, you do not talk to your brother that way. Do you understand? Blah, blah, blah. And I just like level up at Henry. And he's literally just like, oh. And I'm going at him and I'm pointing at him. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. And then these words come out of my mouth. 
I don't know how they got there, but I said, the way you're treating Arthur right now is gonna make him have to go to counseling when he's an adult. <laughs> really great parenting, guys, so you're gonna learn things about me here. That's not the best part, because Henry, in his lovely innocence, nine-year-old self, he goes, geez, Dad, the way you're treating me is gonna make me have to go to counseling someday. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Don't worry, we're already setting money aside for you. It's fine, you're fine. It was just such a reminder to me that my actions, they have consequences. That my kids, like they see everything that I do and they, they repeat it back to me. And so even in the moments when like, I'm just not crushing it, it's just another reminder like, oh, well, you didn't crush it again. Good for you, way to go, dad. Um, but it does make me glad that we serve a God who continues to give us grace and an opportunity to choose him and to choose different. Because every single one of us, no matter where you're at in your life, you have kids, you're married, you're in a relationship, you're a boss, you, you just work with coworkers, you're a neighbor, you have spheres of influence. And how you act and behave, those spheres of influence, they begin to see what you're doing and they begin to either want to be like you or be the opposite of you. And so how you behave and how you act, what you choose, it actually affects and determines what you leave behind, which we talked about in the beginning. So today, as we're wrapping up this series, we're going to be looking at this topic of what do we do with our lives and how do we choose God and why should we choose God over everything else in life? So we're looking at the book of Joshua. So if you guys have your Bibles, you can pull those out. Uh, Joshua is like the sixth book in the Bible, kind of towards the front. We also have Bibles in the back. So if you're like, I came without a Bible today, go grab one. They're for you to have. Uh, so grab a Bible. It'll be up on the screens as well. But we're going to be in the book of Joshua. And Joshua, just to give you guys a little bit of an overview of Joshua, it's the story of the Israelite nation under Joshua's leadership. So the Israelites, they actually, they lived in Egypt for a long time and they became slaves in Egypt. And then God raised up a guy named Moses. Some of you have heard of Moses. And Moses led the people out of Egypt. There's a movie about it. He led the people out of Egypt and they end up in the desert. Then they spend another 40 years in the desert, and then they finally get to the edge of the promised land, the land that God said, this <clears throat> is your land. And so as they're at the edge of the promised land, Moses is not going to be able to lead the Israelites into the promised land. So God has raised up another man named, I almost said Joseph, Joshua. Thank you. <laughs> he raised up a guy named Joshua. And Joshua at the edge of the promised land, has lived this incredible life. He was a spy in the army. He went into the land with them, and then he became really Moses' second in command. God was like, hey, Joshua's gonna be your second-hand man. And so Joshua finally takes over for Moses, and we find that Joshua is an incredible leader. He's a warrior. He's strong. He's courageous. He chooses to follow God. His life, if you guys are looking for like somebody to emulate, read the book of Joshua and how Joshua is, because he's one of those people in my life, a hero of the faith, for sure. And he has this amazing leadership arc from going from second in command to leading the Lord's armies. And as he leads the Lord's armies into the promised land, he gets to see God move over and over and over. He got to see God part the Red Sea. He got to see God part the Jordan River so that they could go into land. He got to see God give them Jericho. He got to see them over and over as God went before them and showed up in miraculous ways. Joshua has seen some things and all the time he has been committed and devoted to God. And so when we look at the book of Joshua, the first 12 chapters, that's really the whole battle that's them going into the land, taking control of the land that God has given them. The second half of the book of Joshua is all about God then dividing the land up between the Israelites and kind of settling in the land, which is another part of what God said they would do. It's like 12 chapters of like, then these people got this land, and then these people got this land, and they got this land, and there's all this stuff, which is kind of crazy. You're like, God actually cares about 
fulfilling his promises and finding the ways to do that and helping people take hold of what he's given them. But then we come to the very end of Joshua and there's two chapters after the first two, two sections where Joshua gathers the people of Israel together. After all that he's seen, all that he's led the Israelites through, he finally gathers everyone together and he's about to give them like his final regards, his final remarks. And so we see in Joshua 23, one through two, it says this. After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all of their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all of Israel, their elders, their leaders, their judges and officials. And he said to them, I am very old, which is such great self-awareness, isn't it? I'm just really old, guys. I don't think I'm going to make it much longer. And so because he's very old, because he's at the end of his life, he says, I have some words to share with you. And if I were under Joshua's leadership, I would have wanted to make sure I was in whatever room Joshua was going to give those final remarks. Wouldn't you? Josh, you've led us through all of these things. You've been an incredible leader, and we get time now to hear your final remarks. I was thinking back, there's many different times when I've been able to hear from people and, and things that they've said, but a few times when there's been people, I've been able to be like in the room when someone's passing away, right? And to hear those final remarks, like, what do you have to say? What's the very last thing you want to leave with me today? And that's what Joshua's doing, basically. He's, he's giving them their final remarks. And the thing is, we don't have to guess what his final remarks are because they're right in the Bible. So what are his last words? What does Joshua say to the Israelites in chapter 23 and 24? I'll sum it up in two words, and then we'll get into it. Remember and choose. Remember and choose. The first thing that he does is he tells them to remember. Joshua 23.3 says this. Right after Joshua admits he's very old, he says this. You yourselves have seen everything that the Lord God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. And he goes on to say, remember how I've done all these things. And he walks through this history with them saying, I have been with you. Remember that I have provided for you. Remember that I gave you the promised land. Remember how I was with you over and over and over and over and over. And Joshua gives the Israelites that command, remember the Lord. But then God, he's talking to them through Joshua. And so one of the things he says too, is not just remember all that I've done for you, but he says, remember that promise that we made together? Remember that covenant where I said I would be your God and then you guys said, yes, we'll be your people and we'll worship you. And then I said, I'll take care of you. And then you said, you will love me and follow me and serve no other gods. Remember those things. Remember the 10 commandments. Remember all the stuff that we agreed to. You've kind of given up on that. You've begun to worship other gods. You've begun to look other places for your satisfaction. And yet what I want you to remember, Israel, is that I am still with you. Remember that I am your God and I am with you. And why is this important for the Israelites to remember? It's important because as they look back, it allows them to look forward in faith. They look back in order to look forward in faith. And we have the same opportunity to look back at all that God's done in our lives. We can look back in order to look forward in faith. Because if you can remember how God has shown up in the past, it's gonna make it a lot easier to trust that he's gonna show up in the future. It's still gonna be really hard, to practice trust, to practice faith. But remembering what God has done, that is a massive part of following God. What does it look like to follow him? And so to the Israelites, he says, hey, remember your first love. Remember that God has been with you, that he will be with you again. But then he says, not just only do you need to remember, now it's time to make a choice. So the second thing he says is you need to choose. So you remember, and now you choose. 
Remembering is looking at all that God has done. Choosing is saying, on behalf of all of that, knowing who we worship, we are going to choose something today. Choosing really puts the ownership back on them. It kind of puts the ownership back on us, too, when we have to choose. Because it's not just something that we can just do. We have to choose. Remember and then choose. God has kept his part of the bargain. Now, it's your turn to keep your part of the bargain. You guys got this. Okay. Because we remember that living for God, it's not a choice. Sorry, said that wrong. Living for God is a choice, not a default. Living for God, it, it takes choice. It's not just a default thing. And many of the Israelites, I'm sure, were like, well, we're God's people. So of course we're living for God. I mean, we might be choosing these idols over here, but we still live for God. We're still God's holy people. We've been set apart. We've been blessed. God is with us. We have a covenant. We're good. But Joshua says, that's not enough to just be the chosen people. You actually have to choose back. You have to make a choice in this as well, to choose who you're going to serve. So living for God, it's not a choice. It is a choice. It's not a default. And we see this in Joshua 24. Now we're going to jump ahead. We're in 23. We're jumping up to Joshua 24, 14. And by the way, for extra credit, read these last two chapters the next couple of days. I read this with my kids the other day, and I was just struck at how many times God says, I did this, I did this, I am this, I did this, I did this. And you can just see how God has taken care of them. And then finally, they now have to make a choice. Joshua 24, 14. Joshua says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So how do we choose to serve the Lord? Joshua puts it right there clearly. He says, you got to throw away your idols. God, throw away your idols, guys. Throw them away. And for us right now thinking, okay, how do I throw away an idol? What does that mean? But that's, that's jumping too far into our context. Going back to the Israelites' context, they literally had idols. They would have these like statues and monuments and things that were in their homes, were in their cities, were on their hilltops. They had these things that were physical representations of the gods that they worshiped. And Joshua is literally saying, you gotta cut that down, you gotta pick it up, you've gotta throw it away. Get rid of it. I don't care what you need to do, bury it, burn it, chop it down, it doesn't matter. Get rid of it. You gotta get rid of it. But what's fascinating about this is that, like I said earlier, the Israelites, they're God's chosen people. So when I think of Israel, I think of them as they worship God. Not other idols, they worship God. And yet in this context, we're reminded that the Israelites have continued to choose the gods of the people who they took control of their land. The land that they went into, they said, ooh, we like these gods. Oh, this God might have some, something for us. Oh, I need a God who's like over my crops, or I need a God who can help me with love or whatever. And they would choose these idols and they'd incorporate them into their lives while still worshiping Yahweh, their God. They were doing it both ways. But what's so fascinating is that they were really practicing this polytheism. They thought they could have everything all at the same time. It's a divided allegiance. And what's convicting about that to me is that this is exactly how I live my life often. And I'm guessing this is how you live your life. Yes, I worship God, but I also really want this thing over here. Yes, I worship you, God, but I really want this relationship. Yes, God, I worship you, but like, I can just still have this in my life, right? But God, I'm gonna do your thing, but can I also have this? Like, can I do both? I kind of want my cake and I want to eat it too. But what's so fascinating about all of this is that we see God looking at them and saying, you can try, but you're going to fail. And in fact, trying's not good enough. It's like what baby Yoda says. Well, not baby Yoda, normal Yoda. 
He says, do or do not. There is no try. Are you in or are you out? Are you in or are you out with this? Because we learn something about God through this passage. And in fact, you, you learn it through the whole Bible, but this passage really highlights it for me. Is that God is intolerant of a divided heart. And I use that term very intentionally, intolerant, because we, you know, we want to be tolerant people. We want to like, hey, it's all good. But God is intolerant of a divided heart. He says, you can't have it both ways. You can't say you worship me, but then worship something else. It doesn't work like that. And in fact, Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew 6, 24. He, just, he, he goes down on this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In this context, God, Jesus is talking about money, but you could easily say you cannot serve both God and relationships. You cannot serve both God and those addictions. You cannot serve both God and fill in the blank for you. You can't do it. And why can't you do it? Well, he says, because you can't serve two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other or love one and hate the other. You're not going to be able to fully hold both of these things because your heart is only made to serve one thing, and that's God. But we can choose what to worship. But what's so interesting is that what you worship actually determines how you live. What you worship determines how you live. That's why we can't have divided hearts. God literally saying, what you are worshiping right now, what you are putting as the foremost and primary, that's how you're going to end up living. That's where you're going to live for. That's what you're going to be about. That's what people are going to know you for. That's going to direct the whole trajectory of your life. So you should choose carefully what it is that you actually want to worship. And what's so uh, interesting, even in thinking about formation, have you guys heard this term spiritual formation before? We talk about it in church sometimes, spiritual formation. We're being formed by the Bible and, and the spirit and it's spiritual and it's all good. So when we think about spiritual formation, we often think it's doing the things that are gonna form us spiritually, like reading our Bible, praying, worshiping God, being in church. These are good things that are forming us spiritually. But spiritual formation doesn't just happen in a Christian setting. Spiritual formation happens literally anywhere we are in life. Because as spiritual beings, anything that we allow to come into us, it forms us. It shapes our spirits. So I don't want to be naive and think, well, if I'm not doing, it's, if, it's, if it's not the Bible, like it's okay because it's not having an effect on me, right? It doesn't really matter. But it does. Everything that we put in, it, fect, it affects us. It changes us. It forms us. And so when we give our hearts, our souls, our minds to things that are not God, we begin to give them influence in our lives. And sometimes it's very overt and we could like name it and say, this is exactly what's going on. And other times it's very subversive. And so today as we, when we land, we're going to talk kind of how do we identify those idols in our lives? For the Israelites, it was actually pretty easy because they literally had idols that were right there. It's like, oh yeah, that idol to Baal, we should probably get rid of that thing. That's an idol right there. Oh, that, that pole up there, that's an idol. Like they would know what the idols were in their lives. And so God says, you got to get rid of them. But what's interesting about why he says that, again, not just because it's a divided heart, but because each idol that they worshipped had some sort of value system connected to it. So if you wanted to worship Baal, you had to do a few certain things in order to make Baal happy. Then Baal would give you what you would want. If you wanted to worship Asherah over here, you would do what you had to do, and you would like do the things, and you would live your life a certain way. You'd do certain sacrifices so that Asherah would be happy. You would do all of these different things in order to appease the different gods. 
And so when God says you got to get rid of your idols, he's literally saying you got to stop worshiping things that are making you live differently than how I've asked you to live. You've got to live differently. No wonder it's that God calls them to throw away their idols because he's not like those gods. He, he's not at all like the gods that they're serving. He's not just a little, a little bit over here or a little bit over here. He's everything. And his value system that he has for them is completely different than what they had. His value system is founded on his character. It's founded on his love, his perfection, his holiness. These things, when you worship a perfect and holy God, should change how you live. What we worship it determines how we live. And going back to the formation question, I just want to ask you guys today, what, what's forming you? What's forming you? If you had to look at your life and say, okay, what am I allowing to form me? I'm willing to bet, just like when I look at my life, that there are things in there that I'm like, yeah, I spend a lot of time thinking about that or doing that or spending time around those people. And I, and I know it's not probably actually positive spiritual formation, but is it negative spiritual formation? How does that work? Each one of us has to identify what is forming us. Maybe for you, you know, what's, what's being formed, maybe you're searching, searching for comfort or stability. Comfort is a big one for me. I'm like, man, if I could just find, like, find a way to make everything easy in life, then we'll be good. But the trick is nothing's ever easy in life, and rarely am I good when I, when I go towards that. What is being formed in you? Maybe it's keeping up with the Joneses, right? You're like looking at the neighbor. You're like, well, they have that and they seem happy. Or I saw this thing on Instagram and they seem happy. So I want to go after that thing. Maybe we're going after that. Maybe it's the sports or the entertainment that we watch or go after or we spend so much time in saying we want to have these things or money or power or like the toys or spending long weekends or going on great vacations. Like we live for that, right? You talk about live for the weekends. Like I'm always living for the weekend. Is that something that we put an inordinate amount of time and energy and attention into? And if so, then you have to ask yourself, okay, is this, is this good or is this bad? And I think it's neither. Honestly, I think these things as they are, like if I was to say right now, sports, bad. Entertainment, bad. You should just spend your time reading your Bible 24-7, 365, like nothing else. That's not what God has called us to. He's given us good gifts. He's given us fun things. He's given us food and entertainment and all this stuff, but it can also be twisted. And then it can be so subversive. When all of a sudden we're like, instead of like wanting that, like, I'm like really wanting that. That's actually running my life right now. I can't stop thinking about that. I can't let that thing go. I, I have to do whatever it takes to get that. And that's when we begin to see maybe these are idols in our lives, not just fun activities or things that we own. And so Joshua's challenge to the people is to get rid of those things, to just get rid of them. And again, for them, it was different because these idols were these physical representations, but yet they had to make a choice to do it. It's like me with my candy cabinet. You guys have a candy cabinet, right? No? Ice cream freezer? Snack drawer? Nothing? Okay, it's just me. I have all those things. But I go up to my candy cabinet and I, I take it down and we literally have a box full of candy about this big. It's like leftover Halloween, Easter candy, birthday party candy. I don't know how we get so much candy. And I'll just like take a little bit and then put it up. Take it down the next day, take a little bit and put it up. And I just keep going back to it. But every once in a while, I like, I've got great self-control. And I'll take it down and I'll be scrounging through it and I'll see like an unopened like bag of Skittles, which is like my, my kryptonite. And I'll look at it. <laughs> And the Holy Spirit convicts me. <laughs> and I just do this. Trash can. 
And like the sense of freedom I get when I throw away unopened bags of candy, it's like so painful. But as soon as it goes in there, I'm like, wow, I did it. I got rid of the candy. I mean, I still got a whole box of candy, but I got rid of that stuff, you know, and then I'll go over and scrounge some more. But like, there's just these little victories that sometimes I find I have with my candy drawer that I think we sometimes think it's, it's going to be just like all at once. We're just going to cold turkey, cut everything out of our lives. Even beginning with those little steps can actually help you take steps towards getting rid of the idols in your life. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's never done. Never am I like, oh, I I don't have that anymore in my life. It's like, no, like I got to work constantly to choose the gods. Because the one thing I do know about the Israelites, they may have gotten rid of their idols, but they were still living in a land where everyone around them was still worshiping idols. It would be easy. You'd walk through the market. They'd be like, hey, do you want an idol of Baal? It's like 20 bucks. Oh, well, I got rid of mine. Well, you should get another one. Uh, Okay. And then they can easily go back to those gods. It's not like it was like they're done and you can never go back. It's constantly in front of them, and they had to choose daily who they were going to serve. And Joshua knows that they're going to have to choose daily, so he gives, them this, he gives them this challenge in 24 verse 15, the very next verse. He says, hey, I get it. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether it's the gods your ancestors serves beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living in. Essentially, I feel like he's saying, I don't care. Do what you want, but just choose something, okay? Don't be this like lukewarm, mushy, like whatever. Like just choose something. And I think he's trying to use reverse psychology. I tried to explain reverse psychology to my kids the other day. They did not get it. This is reverse psychology. Oh, it's cool. Yeah, I don't care. You do whatever you want. Choose whatever gods you want. It's fine. Joshua, as a good leader, he's not actually telling his people, go do whatever you want. He's trying to give them a challenge. And we see this very next sentence that he uses is one of the greatest phrases in the Bible and where I want to camp for the rest of this time. He says this. He says, you guys choose whatever, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You guys do whatever you want. It's great. It's fine. But as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. And that phrase right there, it nixes all the other stuff he says before to these people. It's not like he's actually giving them just permission. Hey, go, whatever. He says, you have free will, but I think you know where you actually want to land. As for me and my house we will serve the Lord. It's a challenge to the people. It's Joshua literally taking a stand and saying, I'm going to lead you guys where I believe we need to go. You can choose elsewhere, but I think what you want to do is choose this. And it must have worked because we see the people reply in the very next verse. The people answered, well, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods, as if they have never never done that before. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua's stance for God didn't just change himself, it changed his family and it changed his whole community. This radical decision that he made to serve the Lord in the midst of all these other gods they could have served was a statement to his people and to his family. And they took it and they were changed. They were radically different because of his radical decision. And that was Joshua with the Israelites, making a stand for God. What about for you guys? Think about the circles of influence, because we all have circles of influence, whether or not we have kids, or we're married, or we have a job, we have coworkers, we have employees, we have bosses, we've got neighbors, we've got extended family. We all have circles of influence. And every choice you make to serve the Lord can have a lasting impact on somebody else's life. You may not think it. You may think, again, well, it doesn't really matter what I do. Like, no one's really watching. That's just not true. People are watching all the time. 
And you have an opportunity to influence the future by choosing God in the present. Because what you choose to serve determines what you choose to leave behind. What you choose to serve determines what you choose to leave behind. I had a chance to see this a couple of weeks ago. I got to go to my grandma's memorial. And my grandma was a great woman of faith. She's like one of my role models in life. And when we went up to her memorial, it was cool to see not just a few of us like gathering around, but there were hundreds of people gathered to celebrate my grandma's life. My grandma had a stroke about 10 years ago. She didn't have a lot to, like, she couldn't communicate, she couldn't talk, she had a hard time eating. So we kind of lost grandma 10 years ago. But to see 10 years of her living in this facility and to still come and see how many people she had impacted in the, the life that she had before that stroke was incredible. And it's all because of the choices that she made. I got to see my aunts and uncles and my mom talk about grandma's faith, talk about their mom who would sit with them and read the Bible with them, who would pray with them when they were having panic attacks, who would be with them in the hardest seasons of their lives, who would offer forgiveness and grace even when they didn't deserve it. It was amazing to sit with my cousins and to share stories of grandma and how she would take us to church and how sometimes she would like force us to go to church because we didn't want to, but she would do it anyways because grandma served the Lord. And it's amazing then to see my cousin's kids and my sibling's kids and how their faith has been impacted by my grandma. My faith has been impacted. Even more so my kids' faith. That's four generations. And there are gonna be more and more and more and more generations because of the faith that my grandma Nita had. Do you want that kind of legacy? I want that kind of legacy. I wanna be the type of person that when they look back at Grandpa Jonathan, they're like, remember, remember when he stood up and he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And remember how he chose that daily, how he was, he was actually humble, how he asked for forgiveness, how he began to teach us about what does it look like to follow Jesus in humility, how he began to, to teach us God's word about how he, he always made us go to church, even though we didn't always love it that much. But remember those things that he did? We are different because of it. I want that in my life, and I want that for you guys too, because I believe that you want it. I want to cast that sort of a shadow but it's gonna start with making choices today. Because like I said, it's a choice. It's not a default. You don't just get the default into becoming this like amazing person who follows Jesus all the time. It takes choices daily for each one of us. You want this. Because ultimately, we have to choose. What we worship will determine how we live. What you worship, it determines how you live. So today, I wanna just close with, how do you know what you're worshiping? Because I think for each of us, we may have some ideas, but I want to give you a definitive list. Well, it's not definitive. I'll give you my list of some ways to identify idols in your life or things that you might be worshiping. There's just three. So I'll start with the first one. How do you identify idols? First, do you willingly yield excessive authority to this thing to direct your life? Meaning what shapes how you think and what shapes what you think? What are you allowing? Maybe that's a news source. Maybe that's people. Maybe that's books. Maybe it's movies. I don't know. Whatever it is, is it excessively shaping how you think of the world? And when I say excessive, I mean like, is this like the go-to? You're like, I go to this person or this thing to tell me exactly what's happening in the world instead of going to God. I'm not saying you can't have these things as well, but instead of, have you put that above God? So are you willingly yielding excessive authority to this thing? Second, is this something that you find your worth, value, or meaning in? 
This is a tough one because I find my worth and value in so many things that are not God all the time. How do I look? How did I sound today? What are my kids doing? Did they behave or not? How did I do in my job this week? Wow, look at the cool thing that I bought. Ooh, it's nice and shiny. Oh, I couldn't do that thing. I don't have the skills. All of these things determine for me my value and my worth. It's wealth, it's status, it's power or privilege or comfort or stability or maybe your relationship status. All of these things can become idols in our lives if we say they are giving us value more than what God can give us. Okay, so that's the second thing. The third, are you actively choosing this thing over choosing what God wants or desires for you? This one actually might be a little bit easier because when I say actively, it's like you know. You know you're choosing something over God, but you're just not really willing to give it up. You're not really willing to throw it away. So maybe it's an activity that you know will harm us instead of helping us. Or it's a relationship that continues to turn your heart or your mind away from the Lord. Or maybe it's a habit or an addiction that you just can't shake and you're like, ah, I just, I don't know if I can give that up. Those are idols. So looking at this list and thinking, I'm sure God's highlighted something in your, in your mind right now. Looking at this list, then the question is, well, what do we do with that? Do we just identify and be like, oh yeah, that's an idol. No, we want to throw it away. We want to find a way to get rid of that thing so that we can walk more closely with God. So I want to give you just four ways that you can, you can actually throw away your idols. And again, it'll be active, meaning you have to continue to do this. It's not a one and done deal. But the first is repent. We have to repent. That means we're actively turning away from the things. See, repentance, it's not con confession. It's not saying, oh yeah, I struggled with this or I put this as an idol. That's the first step. But once you identify it, then let's pretend that you're walking this way towards this thing. Repent really means to stop and do a full U-turn and go the other way. It's to say, I can't be a part of that anymore. I don't want that in my life anymore. I'm repenting from that. I'm turning from that thing. So it always starts with repentance first. But another way to throw away your idols is to release. And this is really just to be generous. Because I find so often that whatever it is that has an idol of mine, I cling to it, like comfort. I cling to comfort. I'm like, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be out of my element. I don't want to be out of my comfort zone. I hold on to that so tightly. And yet when I release that, that grip on it, I actually find that the grip that it had on me is also released. Generosity is a way to unleash a life that is worthy of worshiping God. It's a way to loosen up so that we can have those things loose their grip on us. So release. The third is routine. Find a routine to worship God. What does it look like for you? Maybe it's being more consistent coming to church, spending time in God's word. One of the easiest ways that I love is the Bible in one year. It's like my favorite thing. I talk about it every time I'm up here because it's so great. You just need to listen to the Bible. They read it to you and you just hear God's words and it begins to shape your heart. Because remember, what you spend time with actually shapes who you're becoming. So if you need to get more time with God or his word, Make a routine. It doesn't have to be crazy long, just something that's gonna consistently ground you in what God has to say over what others might have to say. Okay, that's routine. And then the fourth, we remember. Remember God's work. For some of you, you guys might be like voracious journalers. Go back to your journals and look. See where God showed up in your life. Maybe for some of you, it's having friends to be like, hey, can you guys remind me? I remember we went through that really hard time. Can you just remind me again, like what God did? Just like for the Israelites, they had to be constantly reminded and they had to remember what God had, had done. We get to do the same thing because we don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a dead idol. We serve a living and active God who has done something in the past, who's doing stuff now and will do stuff in the future. 
And if we're going to worship this God and we're going to choose daily, we got to remember where he's shown up in the past. So those are just four things. There's probably plenty more that I didn't get to, but repent, release, find a routine, and remember. And if you can do those four things, I guarantee you the idols in your life will loosen their grip on you as you spend more time worshiping God. And what's going to happen is that the people around you are going to be different. Your kids, your family, they're going to be different because of how you act and how you worship God. Uh, I have a chalkboard in my house, and it, it sits in our garage, which, which really doubles as our entrance into our house. And so the chalkboard right next to our house for the past couple of years has had this phrase written on it, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And every time I go in and out of my garage, I see this chalkboard. It says, there's also a desk there, so if I'm working, I can see it. And it's a constant reminder to me to say, I do not want to live a life for myself. I want to choose because it doesn't just affect me anymore. It affects my family. It affects my church. It affects my neighborhood. It affects my community. How I live and who I worship determines how my life is going to go. And as for me in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And today, you guys have this card that you got when you came in. It's just a green card. And it just has that phrase, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I want you to take this and put this somewhere you're going to see it. Because I guarantee many of you today are coming in saying, I needed that reminder. I need to choose to serve God today. Not just for myself, but for everyone that's around me. And we have an opportunity this week to choose to serve the Lord together. Let's pray. God, we just first and foremost thank you for your grace. That you don't give up on us, that you've never failed us. And even when we have chosen not to serve you, you call us back. You say, come back, serve me. And I just pray right now that as we think about those things in our lives, that we put in front of you, ahead of you, would you help us, Holy Spirit, to have the power and the courage to throw away our idols? Because we want to be a people who can say, as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord.